Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Fall is right around the corner, and so is candle season. If you can't wait to get your hands on your favorite pumpkin spice candle, maybe you should think again. Have you ever stopped to think about what ingredients are in a fragrance candle? The Fair Packaging and Labeling Act gives fragrance manufacturers a trade secret status so they legally do not have to share their ingredients with you. Synthetic fragrance can contain up to 3,000 different chemicals, some of which are endocrine disruptors and respiratory irritants. Some even contain chemicals that are known carcinogens. If you do not want to give up false scented candles forever, I have a swap for you. Introducing Fontana Candle Company. I love Fontana Candle Company for their 100% natural and independently certified non-toxic candles, wax melts, and room sprays. They use only pure beeswax, coconut oil, and essential oils in their candles, and they put all of their ingredients right on the label. Fontana was the first candle to be certified non-toxic by Made Safe, and they now have over 75 products certified. This includes their natural bath soaks, bar soaps, wax melts, and room sprays too. I love that they have my favorite seasonal scents like cinnamon orange clove, peppermint twist, and spice latte. Discover your favorite non-toxic scent by heading over to their website. Use J.I. Podcast as your code at FontanaCandleCompany.com for 15% off your order. That's Fontana, F-O-N-T-A-N-A, Candle Company, Dot com and use code JIPODCAST. Dr. Drew Morcos is the president and CEO of Modus Specialist Physical Therapy for amateur, professional, and active clients. Drew was recently the head physical therapist for the Los Angeles Lakers for the 2022 NBA season. He has experience working with top athletes in professional sports, including Russell Wilson, Antonio Brown, Carmelo Anthony, and Steve Johnson. Prior to opening his own clinic, he was the Director of Rehabilitation at the University of Southern California Athletic Medicine Department. He continues to serve as an adjunct instructor of clinical physical therapy for the Division of Biokinesiology and Physical Therapy at the Herman Ostro School of Dentistry at USC. He earned a BS in kinesiology with an emphasis in athletic training from the University of Nevada. He received his Doctor of Physical Therapy degree from USC in 2007, followed by completion of a residency in orthopedics and a fellowship in sports physical therapy through Kaiser Permanente Los Angeles. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, I'm really excited for our guest. It's Dr. Drew Morcos, and he is a physical therapist. And you guys, I've never had a physical therapist on our show before out of a hundred plus episodes. And so I'm really excited to have one today. And I actually have a lot of questions that I'm just curious about. And I know some of you are curious about. And so thank you for being here, Dr. Marcos. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Before we begin, will you just tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got into physical therapy, who you've helped with physical therapy, things like that? Yeah, definitely. I've always played sports all my life, and it came to a realization that I wasn't going to be able to make it to the next level, whether in college or professional. So I said, what's the next best thing that I could do? And being on the field, dealing with injuries, so sports medicine was was kind of where I had a lot of passion in. 
And I took an anatomy course and I loved it and kind of learning everything about the body was was really cool to me. And so did my undergrad and did, you know, as a student trainer, did athletic training. So I was the one who runs on the field when someone gets hurt and kind of just started building my career in that and then learned about physical therapy when I was in Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns and then decided, you know, I'm going to go back and go to PT school. And so I went to USC at the time, they were number one in the nation for PT. So kind of really put me um, ahead of the game kind of coming out. And I realized that I needed to hone my skills even more after PT school because you learn the basics in PT school. And then PT kind of follows the medical model. So they, you know, if you want to get really good at something, then you have a residency. And then after that, you have a fellowship. And so I did an orthopedic residency and a sports fellowship with Kaiser Permanente here in Southern California and just learned a lot in terms of what I needed to do to, to be better. From there, I was fortunate enough to become the director of rehabilitation over at University of Southern California at USC. So I was dealing with, you know, 18 to 22 year olds every day for five years. I was there for five years and all of these athletes are either, you know, competing for NCAA championships or uh, competing to get to the Olympics that, you know, the upcoming years. So uh, the motivation was really there that, you know, the, the pressure was there. And so learned a lot in terms of what I needed to do as a sports physical therapist and, and get people back healthy and, and strong. And then uh, from there in 2016, decided to branch away from USC. And I started my, my own business, Modus Specialist Physical Therapy. And we just focus on, you know, active, motivated people who want to get better and, and want to get better faster and not kind of spend too much time in PT, but, you know, do it very efficiently. Well, that's amazing. So you've worked with some amazing athletes, I'm sure, over the years, being at SC and then working with some professional sports teams, correct? Yeah, I've been I've been very blessed to, to have a, a great career. You know, started one of my first athletes that I worked with was Russell Wilson, who's now with the Denver Broncos. A really good friend was at his wedding with him and Sierra in, in Liverpool. So we got really, really close. And from there, it just kind of grew because, you know, in our in our world, it's all about word of mouth. And if you do a good job, the word spreads and people want to work with people that they can trust. And from there, it kind of worked with Carmelo Anthony, with NBA, worked with some celebrities like Usher, Puff Daddy, Steven Tyler, you know, everyone gets hurt, you know, all, everyone is an athlete, right, at, at a certain extent. And even these um, musicians and artists, you know, they have to take care of their bodies as well, too. So, you know, word of mouth spread and you do the right thing, you do good work. And just like you guys, you know, you've just been growing and, you know, helping people all the right ways and, you know, just using healthy ingredients. And you guys are killing it right now as well. Well, thank you. That would be really exciting, though, to work with all those people and meet those people. And that's awesome that it's spread by word of mouth. And so let's actually talk about physical therapy. What is exactly physical therapy? And is it only for the injured and the sick, maybe? Or is it for everyone? Let's just start with the basics. You know, the American Physical Therapy Association, the Board of Physical Therapy, really wanted to push what is physical therapy because it's a great question right a lot of people kind of get confused when when you think of an optometrist you think of the eyes when you think of podiatrist you think of the feet but when you think of physical therapy it, it's like oh you know their exercises their massage their pain you know everyone you know associates physical therapy with you know i have to have pain to get better and that's that's not necessarily the case and so 
what the physical therapy board wanted to do was really identify what is physical therapy and what they kind of came down to with everything, all the research and everything is that we're movement specialists. Like that's what we do. We can watch you walk and figure out what's going on with your gait pattern, watch you run and see what's going on there, watch you throw a ball and see what's happening there. Like we're the one profession that without continuing education, just in school, like that's what we do. So we wanted to be known as, as movement specialists. So you know, as physical therapists, if you've ever been around one, you might be at Disneyland or somewhere at, a, at an event and you just watch people walking. You're like, oh, you know, they have some hip pain there or they got an ankle issue. And, and that's kind of what we do. It's meant for everybody. It's meant for anyone who just needs to get healthy and get moving. And, you know, it doesn't have to be surgical. It doesn't have to be um, an old person. We, a lot of it is after, you know, an injury or something or before it, it's all about injury prevention. And how do we prevent injuries and, and how do we, you know, decrease the likelihood of that injury? Because prevention is a really hard word to say because no one can prevent an injury, but we can reduce the likelihood of an injury just by specific training and using muscles that typically aren't used if someone's in the weight room or, or, or things like that. So interesting. And so really anyone from the general population can come to physical therapy just for preventative things. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean that, and that's kind of like how we have structured a lot of what we do and, and we see a lot of youth, right? And so the youth population in, in playing sports is, is so high right now. Like it's, it's all about, I want to get my kid to be able to have a college scholarship or even go professional. And, you know, kids are very elastic so they can, you know, they can get injured and, they, and then they can come back fast. But now with the competition level being so high and kids training at such a younger age, you have to be a little bit more proactive than reactive. So meaning don't wait until an injury happens, but let's be proactive and see, okay, you know, let's get it checked out. My kid might have some issues going on, but you never really know what those issues are until a professional, a medical professional really assesses and does a whole movement analysis, a whole evaluation to really understand like, okay, hey, these are some impairments that we found that, you know, we can help again, reduce that likelihood of an injury. So interesting. Okay, so I want to actually talk about pain because a lot of people do go to the physical therapist when there is pain. I know my husband had an issue with his shoulder and he didn't go to PT until there was pain in his shoulder, you know? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. let's just talk about pain. When we're experiencing pain in the body, is movement still beneficial? Should we still be out, you know, exercising or at least walking or moving the body? A hundred percent. And so modus, what my, what my business name is, is Latin for movement. And, and really the idea is we, we have to keep on moving because the, the old train of thought is when you have an injury is something called rice, rest, ice, compression, and elevation. And this was something that, you know, was done over the years and years of injuries and acute injuries, ankle sprains, you know, knee pain, whatever it is. But that through research has kind of abolished and not too many people really know what the new acronym is. And it's, it's called MEAT. It's movement, exercise, analgesics, which means more like turmeric and natural analgesics and then treatment. And so the idea is we always want to keep moving. So one of the big things that we see, and we're able to see clients after an acute injury because we are out of network. We don't take insurance directly. We deal with more people that are paying out of pocket. And so a lot of it is in terms of getting them in right away is super important. So we have to be able to get them moving immediately so we know that you know th they don't get stiff. Because the problem is 
you sit around, you wait until pain is going to go away after two weeks of doing nothing. And then all of a sudden you start moving again and you're like, well, the pain should be gone, but that's not the case. The pain is going to still be there because you haven't really fixed the source of the problem. Now, fixing the source of the problem is the real key to what a physical therapist should do in every department that you work in or whatever you work in. The question is always why, right? Why do they have this pain? If you're not answering the why, you're just you know, putting a Band-Aid on an injury that then will come back again. If they're like, if someone's a tennis player, your husband, you know, he has his shoulder pain and he's throwing the ball around with your kids. He just says, I'm going to rest it and I'm just going to give it some time and take some medication. And then after two to three weeks, maybe a month, he feels better. And then he goes and throws the ball again. There's no reason why that pain would not come back because nothing was fixed in terms of the source of the problem. So figuring out why he has a shoulder pain, is it his you know lack of thoracic mobility? Does he not rotate enough? Sometimes it could be all the way down at the ankle. Like, is he not bending his ankle enough because maybe he had an ankle injury before and now he's avoiding that amount of ankle dorsiflexion to where when he throws the ball, he's using more of his shoulder than he should be of his whole trunk and lower body. So the whole body is connected. It's really fun to kind of figure out and, and play inspector in terms of finding out what the problem is because everyone's injury is, is so unique. Not one thing is ever the same. And the same thing with rehab. Rehab, rehabilitation of an injury is never the same. So we always have to understand and figure out where the source of the problem is and why it's happening and, and how do we correct it. Oh, I love that you find the why. I'm always talking on this podcast about finding the why with your doctor. You know, what is the root cause? So I love that you do that mm -hmm. in PT. But I actually want to back up to something that you said, because I'm sitting here a little in shock about this whole rice thing about rest and ice it and compression and elevate, because I think that's what most of us know what to do. Because for instance, my mm -hmm. daughter came home from tumbling the other night and hurt her ankle. And that's the first thing I did. I had her sit down. She elevated her leg. I put ice on the ankle. So now I'm like, shoot, that's what we're not supposed to do. What was I supposed to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, no, no. That? I mean, an acute injury, like in the first 24 hours, it's it's okay to ice and it's okay to, to rest it. But with an ankle injury specific, because there's a joint on the front of the ankle, that's what helps us bend our ankle back and forth. That joint really gets super stiff after a sprain because the swelling kind of sits in there. And if you don't move it, the problem that people have after an ankle sprain specifically is that a month down the line, two months down the line, they feel this stiffness at the front of their ankle. And that's because they didn't move it enough at the beginning to where scar tissue built up. The ligament itself will, will build up some scar tissue as well, but it just it just needs that movement. So yeah, first 24 hours, you can rest it, you can ice it. Even in that first 24 hours for us, if we're able to see someone or someone calls me, I tell them, you know, we got to move it. We got to do some little squats. You got to do a little bit of a lunge to kind of get that ankle to move. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. But again, if you're clearing out a fracture and you're not worried about something's broken, Again, this is all kind of like in, in line of that, then yes, we can move it and it's not going to be harmful. And the return, the ability to, to return to play is a lot quicker than it is if you just rest it for X amount of time. And research shows that in, in a lot of different articles that, you know, you, you have to, to move it. Even there's a research article about manipulating it, a grade five manipulation to kind of get that swelling out and then kind of getting it moving again. So rice is important, I would say, in the first 24 hours. But then after that, we got to move into to the meat of the problem and, and really kind of get it moving. 
Okay, so for all us moms listening, or dads, it's okay to do the rice for the first 24 hours and then get it moving. Correct. But in your meat analogy, M is movement, E is exercise, and what's A? Natural oh, analgesic. Okay. So like the turmeric and other ways to kind of help with the anti-inflammatory process. So would you put Arnica in there or CBD? Or Totally, totally. All of those things are just ways to get away from the anti-inflammatory. So a lot of people say, you know, well, let's take some anti-inflammatory medications. Well, in reality, you need the inflammatory process to happen to help heal the body. So you, you want to really avoid some anti-inflammatories to intake as medicine because we want the body's process to naturally heal. And if we're stopping that inflammatory process, then we're telling the body, okay, hey, even though this area needs nutrients and, and needs everything to, to kind of heal it, we're telling it to stop with these anti-inflammatories. So it's almost, again, we're changing the way we're thinking of, okay, an injury, we want anti-inflammatories versus now, no, we, we need actual healing of this area within the first couple of days to, to weeks. Okay, so I know <laughs> I'm listening. I'm like, shoot, have I done this wrong again? Because as soon as my kids have like a sprained ankle or something hurt, like the tumbling incident, I immediately start rubbing Arnica on it, CBD on it. I have them take Arnica. I have them take turmeric. So mm -hmm. can I do that in the first the right 24 stuff? hours? That's okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's totally okay. Remember, it, the, the first 24 hours is really meant for, okay, we can ice it. And, and icing is not bad. And don't get me wrong, rice is not bad in, in general. But the problem is people take rice and they do rice for like two to three weeks to a month okay. where it needs to just be part of the program, but you're adding meat in it. You're adding movement with it as well. So it's not just, you know, rest and ice and I'm going to put it in a boot and I'm going to put them in and they can't move it and they got to be on crutches and they, you know, don't move it at all because then now the muscle atrophies, they get a lot weaker. And then the way the body works is the brain realizes there's an injury and it causes atrophy, which is muscle wasting way faster than it can in hypertrophy and to build muscle. So to build muscle physiologically, it's around four to six weeks to see even a little change. But to have atrophy and muscle wasting, that can happen in literally 24 to 48 hours, just not doing anything. So if you're all those moms listening that their kids are really active in sports and they get hurt, whether it's a knee injury or an ankle injury, yes, you want to you wanna take care of them. You want to always not let them have a lot of a pain but we got to get them moving right away in whether that's going to a physical therapist or YouTube or whatever, but it's got to be something where they're figuring out, okay, what is it that I can do that's safe? And I know that there's nothing harmful to this joint or this area. And then we kind of figure it out from there. Okay. So good to know, but you did talk about the brain and telling the muscle to atrophy basically. And so I know you've talked about the brain. And so let's talk about the brain with pain. What is happening in the brain when there's pain going on? It's a really good question. So that when, when you think of someone who has a stroke, what position are they kind of naturally they go in? They go into this position of like curling, right? Where their arm goes across their body. They go into this kyphosis. And that's the brain telling them that this is a protective mechanism. And so this stroke position is more of a tonic phase is what we call it where we want to be more phasic. We want to be able to open up our bodies a little bit more and be able to be open. So we want to get out of this crunched fetal position almost and be more open and, and relaxed and chest out wide, 
arms ex externally rotated. So the brain is always a protective mechanism. It's like the computer of our body, right? If something goes wrong in our brain, then even our fingers won't work. Our brain kind of knows and is developed very highly in the first year of life. And so from three months to, to a year, right, is where our physical body kind of adapts. And this is something called dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, because a lot of these techniques that we do that are training the brain as a baby, as an infant, like it's all natural movements of life at the first year, we actually use these movements in our physical therapy treatments mm. and protocols. So it's a really unique uh, way of thinking of how does the core work? Because it's all about breathing first. Diaphragm, diaphragmatic breathing is the way we are born out of the womb, breathing as diaphragmatic breathing. We kind of get into these different phases of people telling us how to, how to breathe differently. But at the end of the day, the brain knows diaphragmatic breathing is the best way. And that's essentially where your diaphragm underneath your ribs is kind of working with your pelvic floor and it's causing this pressure in, in your stomach. And then from there, it's kind of a Lego piece if you think about it. You know, every little Lego human, you have to have that core first and then you add the legs and the arms. It's the same thing with our body. We can't move our arm and we can't say that I'm going to throw the ball, you know, 50 yards without having a stable core. Or even when you shake someone's hand, we can't shake someone's hand and have a, a weak core, then our arm will just kind of flop around. So the core is, is super important and breathing is, is number one. And then from there, we start stabilizing. You have one segment that's always kind of a stabilizer, and then you have one side that's a mover. And so when you think about a baby who's you know learning how to turn on their side, they have to be able to swing one arm that's in the air and then stabilize on that bottom arm to, to kind of pivot themselves. And a lot of these is super important because when you think about training, you think about closed chain exercises versus open chain exercises. And closed chain means there's a ground reaction force with everything. So if my elbow is on the ground, I know through research, and, and this is what research shows us, that a ground reaction exercise is way more beneficial and you can build a lot more strength than an open chain exercise, meaning I'm just doing like a bicep curl like with a weight in my hand versus if I am moving opposites of each other. So if I'm doing an external rotation of the shoulder and I'm moving my arm with a band and my scapula is stable, that's an open chain exercise because my humerus is moving on a fixed scapula. So if I'm doing this kind of exercise, I'm just kind of moving it normal. That's what, we, that's what most people probably do at the gym or at home to kind of rehab their shoulder. But the better way to do it is actually the opposite way where the scapula is moving on a fixed humerus. So my arm is down, my elbow is down, and then I'm rotating over my humerus with the scapula. So that's a closed chain exercise now. And that can naturally build rotator cuff strength significantly more because the brain knows that, hey, this is a natural movement of when I was, you know, six months old when I'm doing a turning motion or when I'm prone on my elbows as a baby. You know, that's why they always tell you, you know, put babies on their stomach. My wife's a pediatric physical therapist. So our worlds kind of combined in terms of how to treat adults and babies, because a lot of those times, you know, when you're when you're on your stomach and your elbows are on the ground and, and just the baby lifting up their head, they're building a lot of core strength. They're building a lot of shoulder stability and being able to crawl and to turn from prone to supine really activates a lot of muscle groups that 
you know, you don't really think about as working, but when you do it now as an adult and, and we do it with these athletes, these high level athletes, NBA, NFL athletes, they're like, holy cow, like I've never felt this muscle turn on like this before because they're so used to traditional squatting and lunging and all of that. But now when you move segments over each other, so for the shoulder joint and the hip joint, they're very much the same. They're a ball and socket joint. So the ball and socket means it can move in every which way. So that means that, you know, the shoulder can move every, every which way and then the hip can move in every which way. And so naturally to build up the same concept of the shoulder is what the same concept of the hip is. We're moving the hip, the acetabulum over a fixed femur. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's not necessarily an open chain, but now we're talking about closed chain because now they're sidelining, they're on their knee and they're rotating their pelvis over a fixed femur. So it really triggers muscles in, in a different way than, than traditional like rehab. And that's the way the brain operates. Wow. I am fascinated right now by all of this. I don't know much about PT and I never knew this. I learned something new today. So I have so awesome. many questions about this though. So I want to back up though, before you started talking about using these movements similar to what we did when we were babies. Before that, you said when we're in pain, we sort of like curl in, cuddle in, and instead, mm -hmm. should we be having our kids like not do that? Because let's go back to the her ankle. She curled up in a little ball on the couch, you know, in yeah. pain. And yeah. so that's not what we should be doing. No, you want to present to them more of the phasic muscle groups, which is more opening. You want them to, to just kind of be stretched out, allow less of the contractual muscles to work and, and more of the, let's say, the extender muscles to work. So yeah, get away from that that kind of, protective mechanism of the fetal position and, and, and open up more, whether that's getting her ankle moving, getting her chest up, you know, because that's the way the pain in our brain means protection. You know, the brain wants to protect that area. And so it, it naturally knows it just doesn't want to to move, but we kind of have to let it move to kind of get that, get that to heal better and quicker. Okay. That's so good to know for all these parents that are listening to this and actually anyone who's listening to this. Okay, next thing you're talking about doing these exercises like we did when we were babies. So most of these exercises that babies do, is it strengthening their core? And do most of us have weak cores? Is this why we get lower back injuries, shoulder injuries, mm. hip injuries, mm. or not necessarily? No, yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. And it's so interesting because when you, when you break down the body, it's not made super difficult, right? And so if we go all the way down to the ankle, it's this what we call a joint by joint approach. And so the ankle, when you think about it, we want the ankle to really be mobile, right? We want that ankle joint to be mobile as possible to allow us to move around a lot. Then you move up one segment, then it's the knee. We want the knee to be stable. We don't want that to, to twist around because there's out of all injuries, the knee is always the number one injury in all sports. And then this, the, when you move up another segment, it's the hip. We want the hip to be mobile because we want the hip to be um, as movable as possible. And then you go to the lumbar spine and you want the lumbar spine to actually be stable. So you have the hip that's mobile, lumbar spine that's stable. Then you go to the thoracic spine and you want that to be mobile because we want to be able to rotate to throw. And then you go up one more, then you have cervical, which is, we're going to call that from C7 to about C3. We want that to be stable. And then we want C1 and C2 to be mobile because we have to move our neck. 
And then when we go to our shoulder, we want our shoulder to be mobile, and then we want our elbow to be stable, and then we want our wrist to be mobile. When you break down the body, it's this idea of, okay, what's mobile and what's stable? And then when you start thinking about that, you start thinking about, okay, if I have low back pain, should I really be having someone manipulate it, crack it, or someone pushing on it to, to mobilize it? Because if you, if you trust in this theory that it's, it's scientific and proven, we want the lumbar spine to be stable. So then for us in our clinic, like if someone comes in with low back pain, rarely do we ever like really touch the lower back. We're looking at the hips and then we're looking at the thoracic spine. Because if those two aren't mobile, then what's going to happen? The lumbar spine, which should be stable, is now the one that's becoming mobile. And then now that's the one that's becoming painful. And so using that methodology, you're, you're like, okay, well, if I can get my hips to move, and you got to think of every rotational sport, right? If you think of golf, you know, if someone's a righty, their left foot is down and that's their lead leg. And they have to rotate when they swing the golf club, they have to rotate over their locked left leg. And so that pelvis has to move around that. And so if I don't have enough mobility in my left hip, then what's the next segment that's going to make up for that movement? And that's my lower back. Because if my, my, if my hip is locked and I still need to swing that golf club and hit the ball 300 yards, then I'm going to stop at my hip, but then cause my lower back to rotate even more because I still need to hit the ball. And the brain works at the path of least resistance. So whatever is going to give me the least resistance, I'm going to use. And then that's what causes more and more injuries because that's the problem that, that we see in all of injuries is just path of least resistance. So let's say you have you know, a set of three kids and you have an oldest kid is the hip, the middle child is the knee, and the youngest child is the ankle. And so typically what happens, right? The knee is always injured. The knee is known to be the number one source of injury. But all the knee can really do is bend flexion and extension. It's not a ball and socket joint. It's not like the hip. All it's meant to do is to bend one, one really flexion and extension. And so it's still considered the number one reason. And so what happens? It's usually always the hip's fault or the ankle's fault, but the knee gets the blame. So kind of like the middle child syndrome, right? <laughs> yep. It wasn't their fault, but the middle child always gets the blame because they're in the middle. But that's the same thing with the knee. Like when someone comes in and they have a big knee injury, like an ACL tear or something like that, we look at it and we're like, okay, you did tear your ACL, but then we go back to that question of why. And we look at the hip, we look at the ankle, and we say, okay, well, you don't have a lot of mobility here, or you don't have a lot of strength here. These could have been the culprits of it. And so part of our rehab is not just getting them ACL back at, you know, 100%, but what do we do to fix the, the ankle? And what do we do to fix the hip so that it doesn't happen again? Well, that makes sense. Okay, so back to the core. Does mm -hmm. the core play a role, though, in lower back injuries and in lower back pain? 100%. And so the core is, you know, again, it's that Lego piece that we need to be stable. And so it goes back down to breathing. So someone who's very, very irritable, who has a hard time to just walk and they can't even get out of bed, we, the first thing you got to focus on is diaphragmatic breathing. And that's where we get a lot of the stability. And again, we got to think of the, the deepest muscles first. So the deepest muscle to our core is called the transverse abdominis, this natural belt that we have that wraps around from the back to the front. 
And, you know, when you go to the gym, you see people wearing belts and, you know, they're lifting heavy weights. That's something where they may not have a strong enough transverse abdominus because we have that natural belt there already. And that's the deepest core muscle that we have. And so we want to be able to stabilize that because if we don't, then we're, you know, we're not being able to give the core its proper stability, again, because we want the lumbar spine to be stable. We don't want it to be moving around a lot. And so if we can give a lot more stability through our core, and this is not just through like sit-ups, and this is not through planks only, because you got to think when we're moving around, we got to pick up something from the side of us, a box, or we got to go and and kind of lift something heavy. It's not a sit-up position always. There's some type of rotation involved. So strengthening the core in a rotational manner is way more efficient than just doing a plank or, or a sit-up. Are those bad? No. But if you're trying to really prevent injury and you're trying to really get back from an injury, you have to go to why you got injured in the first place, adding that rotational movement with the core as well. So if you have a band, you're kind of doing some rotational core movement to kind of really help strengthen the core in its, in its more functional form. Okay, I'm so glad you explained all that because I was going to ask those questions. So sit-ups, planks, the rotational stuff is all good. But when you talk about breathing can help the core, is that just as effective as like sit-ups and planks? Um, Not necessarily. Breathing is the first step to have any type of stability. If we're not breathing well, which most people with society now is an upper respiratory breather. So they're, you know, they're always breathing up and their chest is rising too much. And that, that, puts a lot of stress on our neck that puts a lot of stress on our shoulders so diaphragmatic breathing is more of the first part of again going back to how we were born and natural breathing cycle is the natural way it's not necessarily a core strengthening exercise but it's more of if we want to strengthen the core we have to be able to first breathe this way and i think that's where people kind of get confused it's it's let me breathe this way first and then let me do my core exercise if you will Oh, interesting. And for those that are listening, this type of breathing is like you said, like we did when we were babies. It's like when we take the breath, our belly goes out. And when we release the air, Mm -hmm. it comes in. And so Mm -hmm. if you watch a baby, they do it perfectly. And as we get older with our stress and everything, like you said, we start breathing in our chest rather than using the belly. So thank, thank you for explaining that. Okay, you'd mentioned about preventative steps that people can take, but let's talk about that because what steps can individuals take to maintain this good physical health and reduce the risk of injuries? Yeah, so there's a lot of things, right? You always want to just look at what are the things that are causing pain for me? Like what what are those things? And and again, it, it could be different for everyone. Just, you know, picking up a baby from the crib or moving them in and out of the car. So then from there, that becomes their training or that becomes their rehab, if you will. And so that becomes their injury prevention programs, right? And so no matter who it is, no matter what sport they play, it's really important that they understand that you have to be very individualized. And so you, you can't follow a cookie cutter you know, online program because everything is a little different, right? Everyone is different and, and everyone's injury and, and source of problem is different. And so, you know, you really have to find that medical professional or find that, you know, PT who really can understand like, hey, this is what bothers me. It hurts me when I kick a soccer ball. It hurts me when I lift up my baby from the crib. Then I need to figure out ways 
to then use this proper muscles to, to, to make those movement patterns feel a lot better. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That's good to know. So I know you've worked with a lot of athletes. Can we talk about water and electrolytes and the Gatorades that are out there and the power aids are, that are out there? Cause it's sort of a pet peeve of mine. And so let's talk about yeah. this. It's important to get good water and electrolytes in for these athletes. Correct. 100%. You can tell me your thoughts on that, but what are also your thoughts about everybody drinking the Gatorade and Powerades and Celsius's and things like that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually a, a pet peeve of mine as well because the sugar level contents in those are yeah, it makes it taste okay, but it's it's harmful to an especially an athlete, right? That's when people are taking Gatorade and and Power and Powerade and, and Celsius. It's the, the sugar content is super high, and, and whether they're looking for an electrolyte replacement, there's there's many others that don't have that sugar high that they have. And still also all the other stuff that's in there to, you know, to make it even that color, all the other chemicals that they're putting in there to, to kind of make it look good and taste good. Where, you know, simple, simple electrolyte, like what we kind of push for people that are, you know, playing sports is a straight up pickle juice, right? You go to the grocery store, you buy pickle a pickle jar and you just drink the juice out of there. You get the straight sodium that's been fully concentrated for so long. But those are kind of really uh, one of the ways. And then obviously you've created some great products that are, you know, pre-workout and post-workout and, you know, the water tasting, you know, with the water flavored. And so there's a lot of different options out there. But a lot of those people, what they're so used to is what a lot of these athletes, you know, are possibly getting paid for or, you know, getting promoted or have some type of stake in the company that necessarily don't even take it themselves, but are promoting it because of maybe some financial background or, or something like that. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so these kids, let's take then these high schoolers, junior high kids playing on competitive teams, you know, whatever sport they're doing. Electrolytes are important, right? They could benefit their performance throughout mm -hmm. the game. Is that correct? I mean, it's good for the muscles, correct? Yeah, so... So cramping is something where you might see a lot of athletes, especially in high humidity areas or just super hot areas. Cramping is, is very, very common. And cramping is essentially muscle cramping where you're getting too much activity of one muscle group that's firing. And so that that's taking up all of the electrolytes throughout the whole body. So having electrolytes extra or stored in the body is super important. And that's including sodium, potassium. I mean, you can name a few. You always kind of need that to help prevent the, the cramping sensation. And there's now technology that you could use after that kind of helps move a lot of the, the, the electrolyte and any kind of swelling that they're having post-activity. There's these compression boots that you wear and it kind of puts pressure on the foot and kind of moves all the way back up to the thigh to help push everything back to the heart to help move all that lactate that, that kind of built up from, from playing sports. Okay. So another question I just want to quickly ask about electrolytes, is it better to take before, during the sport or after, or all of the above? All of the above, definitely all of the above. But if you're kind of in a crunch, you want to take it before activity because it then allows your body to have that extra amount of electrolytes that you need to, to do your activity. And then if you could take it throughout the, the game and throughout the events, like that's really important because what you do as we're active and as we're playing a sport and like a lot of kids, you know, they're playing multiple games throughout the day now with these competition levels so high. And so you want to be able to kind of keep replenishing electrolytes throughout the day. So 
super important to kind of keep it highly active throughout the day. So it's not just water that they're drinking, but water with electrolytes. And, you know, you've, you've, you've had other great speakers on here. The one with the water, he's talking about, you know, adding electrolytes is good, but if you're adding it to bad water, then you're kind of defeating the purpose. So again, having nice, healthy water that is distilled or, or something that's purified and then adding the electrolytes to that is, is going to be super important. Okay. So I'm glad I asked you that. And we do now sell electrolytes now, which I sh shouldn't plug it here on my show, but we do sell electrolytes <laughs> now. And I'm trying though, to teach people that these Gatorades and Powerades with all the artificial dyes and some have artificial sweeteners and some have artificial preservatives. They're just not needed. There's other better choices for electrolytes. So thank you for answering totally. that. And I'm glad you finally actually got the electrolytes out because that was one of the things that we were always looking for because, you know, you had the pre-workouts, you had, you know, the water, but now the electrolytes is, is going to be the game changer. Yeah, I've loved taking them and I've heard amazing things from even like pregnant women saying it's helping their morning sickness and people saying it helps with their migraines and all sorts of things. So more mm. than just for athletes. Totally. But I do have another question about athletes since you've worked with so many. Do you feel like athletes are being more aware of what they're putting in their body and how they're nourishing their body? Or are we still just calories in, calories out? No, no. I mean, nowadays, these athletes, you know, they want to play a lot longer in their career and they want to last a lot longer. And and you see the Tom Brady of the world and you're like, okay, what did he do differently? And And he really was a regiment of like what he's eating, what he's intaking, how he's taking care of his body. And you see LeBron James and, and other athletes like that. And so it's super important that they are more aware of it. And, and I think what they're more aware of is kind of everything that you've been preaching for a long time is low sugar amounts, right? They don't want to have anything processed, nothing that's, you know, artificially made. They want everything natural, whether it's growing from the ground or, you know, a healthy raised animal. And so it's really, really important that what they're intaking is still enough protein, enough carbs, but again, all healthy, healthy versions of that. And I think with society now, there are so many different abilities to get access to a lot of these things. And these athletes know it. And a lot of them have like personal chefs. A lot of them have some type of meal plan service. And they're always looking for those things that are going to give them the ability to kind of still stay lean lose, not, not gain weight, but then also stay efficient in their sport and their activity level with, with proper nutrition. Yeah. As I've interviewed a few athletes, professional athletes, talked to some college teams, it seems like they all are really becoming concerned about what they're using, which mm -hmm. I love. I love that the trend is shifting like that, but let's talk about athletes. And you were talking about like compression suits earlier, how it can, you know, mm -hmm. get the fluids going, things like that. Physical therapy these days actually has a lot of great, should we call them, I don't know, newer inventions maybe that can help people. The technology. Technology, yeah. yeah. So they're not just yeah. helping professional athletes. So there's things that we can use as well, right? The general population. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And again, a lot of this is meant for the general population, right? The Having it for the athletes is always a great marketing tool, right? It's always, okay, the, this athlete uses it, but how can I use it for you know, mom and dad who are working here. And, and a lot of these technologies are meant for that, right? And so there's the compression sleeves that kind of help move the lactate acid back through the heart, filter through the heart. 
there's something called blood flow restriction training. And so anyone can use that. I mean, there's a lot of devices now out there, but you got to use the right ones to kind of help with the process of it all. You know, there's Theraguns. Therabody creates a lot of different products that kind of help increase blood flow. And a lot of everything that we're doing is all about blood flow. If you look back at everything that's kind of been created as a, as a new tool, whether it's in a weight room or, or in a PT clinic, it's all about blood flow. And if you think about it, what is blood flow meant for? What's the natural way to increase blood flow? It's movement, right? So everything is all, always goes back to movement, which then goes back to increasing the blood flow. Our cells need to be recharged just like a cell phone does. And whether that's through different technology or whether that's through movement, but at the end of the day, it's all about being able to move and being able to increase blood flow in different areas, which kind of goes back to the whole meat idea, right? You know, you can use a vibration gun like, like Theragun and, and use it on a joint, and then you're starting to move it again. So it's all about how can I then now increase the amount of movement, the blood flow in that area and is sitting on the couch and waiting for two weeks for it to feel better going to allow blood flow to kind of move to that area? Not necessarily. It's the wrong thought process. And why is blood flow so important? Is it helping injuries, preventing injuries, helping with the muscle mass, helping with the cell protection? What is the benefit? That's how we kind of strive in, in life, right? It's all about getting enough blood flow in different joints to kind of to kind of keep everything active. It's like oil in a car, right? We want to kind of keep things moving, keep things fresh, and allowing a lot of lubrication and, and blood flow into different areas is going to allow us to, you know, move more freely. Okay, so you mentioned a blood flow restriction therapy. What is that exactly? Yeah, so it's this new technology that's been used maybe over 10 years or so, and, and it originally was used for um, the military, so a lot of you know people coming back from the war, they had huge wounds on their leg and they couldn't be able to strengthen their leg because of the wound. So then they ended up you know asking for their leg to be amputated. And so then they were like, you know, there's got to be a, a better way. So this blood flow restriction is essentially like a tourniquet that you put, whether it's on your shoulder or around your hip. And it, it essentially decreases the blood flow in a safe way down through your leg it sends a signal to your brain through the pituitary gland that then sends a signal saying, hey, there's decreased blood flow in my leg. We need to send natural HGH to that area. And so it's, it's a way to effectively trick the brain so that you don't have to work out at about, you know, whatever, if you're squatting, you know, 100 pounds, now you can move your leg around 30% of that. And so you're tricking the brain to think that I don't need the heavy weight, I can protect my joints but still get the muscle mass growth that I need. And it's been used a lot now post-surgical. We're finding more and more research in terms of what is it good for. We can also increase range of motion with it on. But the big thing is, is okay, someone post-surgical, like someone just had shoulder repair and you can't lift heavy weights. So you put the blood flow restriction on, which is like a tourniquet, and then you are able to strengthen that joint without the heavy loads that we naturally would do in the past. Oh, interesting. Thanks for explaining that. Pretty cool that. technology. Yeah. yeah. So many cool therapies out there these days. And so if someone is listening to this and is like, oh, dang, I've had this shoulder injury for five years. I need to go, you know, finally do PT. Are all physical mm. therapists the same or sort of like doctors where you have mm. to like ask around and mm. maybe try them out, things like that? What is your advice to people that are trying to find a good physical therapist? 
my biased opinion would be go to someone that doesn't take insurance and is more of a cash-based clinic because at the end of the day, you know, you get what you pay for, right? And if you're paying a $10 copay, and don't get me wrong, there's going to be some great insurance-based clinics, but they're far between what you're going to find if someone that does it privately because you're going to have more more care. Like for us, we're one-on-one for the whole hour. We don't use aids or assistance. So you have a PT that's working directly with you, specific to you, specific to your injury. So it's really meant for finding someone who has a specialty. And then at the same time, if they're really good at it, just like anything else, they're not going to take insurance. They're going to be more cash-based because what they provide is very unique and individualized. And, you know, that requires a higher cost. And unfortunately, I feel that's the same way with some of these doctors. It's those that insurance doesn't take that will take the time to figure out exactly what you need on an individual basis. So it sounds the same with physical therapy. Tell my listeners about your clinic, where it's located. Are you guys still taking patients at Modus? Things like that. Yeah. So we're based in uh, Southern California, Orange County, along the coastline. Um, we have office in San Clemente, Newport Beach, and Seal Beach, and, and we're growing. We're definitely continuing to grow. We're taking clients. You know, we're, we're really pushing a lot of online stuff as well. So I have online courses for practitioners, for physical therapists to kind of help them because like you said, it's hard to find a lot of these. And so in Southern California, we're very saturated. But if you go across the United States, they're very um, you know, hard to find. And so one of my big passions is actually training and teaching other physical therapists. Because if you go to a physical therapist and they're bad and you don't like them, you kind of just put this umbrella on all physical therapists. And it kind of puts our profession, it keeps going down and down. So then someone's like, I'm gonna go to a chiropractor, I'm gonna go to a massage. And nothing's wrong with that. But like, we had an opportunity to do something really well, and we may have failed at that. And so my passion is to kind of really help those practitioners, athletic trainers, massage therapists to kind of look at the why. And then we also have very similar courses that are meant for the general population, because if they want to just do it on their own, there's an opportunity for them to take those courses online and just to have that knowledge base and to know, okay, these are the exercises I need to do because we talk about the science and then we go into the treatment. And so it's really important. People always want to know the, okay, what do I do for it? And so we'll give you those answers of what to do for it, but you have to also understand where it came from, why it's there, how you can kind of decrease that likelihood for it happening again. Oh, I love that you explained that. And I love that you have these for people because one, you explained what happened to us. My husband went to physical therapy. We sort of just thought it was a waste of money. It didn't do much. And so he's like, yeah, you know, but it's so great that you're providing this for other physical therapists. And then sometimes as a person like us, it would have been great to click on your website and see what courses you have and see if there was anything for the shoulders. So I love that you offer both of those. So is that just on your website? Yeah, our website, modusspt.com, M-O-T-U-S-S-P-T.com. And a lot of it stuff's there. And and that's the same thing as our IG handle. We have a lot of different educational tools there. Everything kind of leads back to the website. And, And if you go to the website, we have this whole area of where's your pain. So we have this human diagram and you click on the shoulder And then there's all the different shoulder injuries that are there. So you could click on it and learn a little bit more about what's going on with you. And at least to kind of then get a better understanding because one of the, one of the series that we made is Google versus the movement doctor. 
And that's kind of like what my uh, nickname is because everyone searches on Google for, for it. And it's like the worst of the worst, you know, Hey, you need surgery. You need to amputate your arm. And it's like, no, 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 like calm down. It's, it's not that bad. You know, you just have to know what's going on with your body. You got to understand is, you know, is, are these the symptoms that you're having? Because Google can just take you down the wrong rabbit hole and, and you're kind of, you're thinking the worst of the worst and it, and it doesn't need to be like that. Oh my gosh. I'm going to send my husband to your website to check that out for his shoulder and see what's going yeah, on. That's awesome. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being here. You've given a lot of great tips that parents can think about when their own kids are injured. It's been fun talking to you just about professional athletes. And I love that you look at the why of the pain and what's going on and so many awesome things. So thank you so much for being here. I always close my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? Uh, naturally, I'm going to say movement. Movement is medicine. And so if you think about that and you're like, what do I need to do? I need to move. And if, if you think of the, the whole concept, the whole slogan of movement is medicine, then you understand that like, I don't need to take these medications to, to decrease my pain. Yes, that'll help. But then you start causing all these other things, right? You cause, cause some liver issues, some other effects on the organs versus if you just move, what we're born to do and what we're naturally meant to do, then that can kind of help a lot of different problems. And, you know, that's one of the big things of where I kind of really wanted to change the mentality of physical therapy is, is really modus is Latin for movement. Our full name is modus specialist physical therapy. So essentially we're movement specialists, physical therapy, kind of what we talked about at the beginning and really understanding that. Physical therapy is all about movement. Life is really all about movement. And we got to keep that movement going again to increase the blood flow, to allow things to, yes, it's going to heal naturally. But if we wait for that healing to happen one month later and then we start moving, then we're ready. We've missed one month of possible healing and, and training and getting our muscles to, to kind of continue to, to hypertrophy or not at least atrophy. If you wait that month, you're almost starting from scratch. And and, and we've seen that way too many times. And we get so many people that come to us that have gone to traditional, you know, insurance based clinics like your husband did. And then they're like, you know, I'm going to give this one more try. I hope this works. And then they're like, you know, we should have just come here from the beginning because it could have just saved a lot more time and money overall. So interesting. I love that you use the word movement. No one has used that word, but movement really is medicine. Movement is life. But as you're talking, I was like, Ah, all of this is clicking because we hear so often just rest, just, you know, rest for mm -hmm. days, weeks, whatever. But when my husband injures his lower back, walking is always what makes it feel the best is just mm -hmm. a slow, gentle walk. So we'll go slowly walk the neighborhood or something. And this, right. it makes yeah. sense rather than just laying in bed. He likes to go on a little walk. So it's the movement, yeah. correct? A hundred percent. And, you know, in life, the, the greatest ability in life is availability and that can be termed in anything just to be a husband to be a mom to be an athlete you have to be available for your family and the greatest you know ability is that and so the only way to kind of really think about that is there's going to be some discomfort there's going to be some pain it's not going to be an easy road but you know like you said you just get up moving and you get going and, and things kind of start going in the right direction well, thank you for being here. Like I said, you have opened my eyes to a few things and you have taught me awesome. some things and I will think about physical therapy different and even how to help my kids when they hurt themselves. I'll think a little bit differently now. So 
Thank you again awesome. for being here. I know you're so busy and I appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate everything that you're doing. You've definitely changed the way we kind of live our life and what we have, the products we have at our home. So keep up the great work, you and your team. And we look forward to all the new stuff that you have coming out. And congratulations on the Utah Jazz. We're excited about that. And what's so fun, I should have said this when we were talking about ingredients and athletes being more concerned about what they're putting in their body, but that's where we found this out. I mean, those athletes playing professional basketball, they are really being picky about what they're fueling their body with. So we love that they chose our protein powder. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Take care. You got it. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.